Aren't you glad to be a part of a worldwide work through the cooperative program, through the Baptist Church? I'm so thankful that we have fellow believers that have forsaken all for the gospel's sake. And the Lord's calling everybody here today, this morning, to be everyday missionaries. That's what we're about. That's what we're about to be in the book of Galatians. So I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're glad you're here. Galatians chapter 3 is where we will be this morning. Experiencing faith. As you turn there, did you have ham or turkey? Anybody? Who had turkey? Okay. Who had ham? Okay. We had ham at, at, at mother-in-law's and at the other grandma's. Okay. Who had both? All right. Who had fish? Okay. All right. Who had chitlins or chitterlings? Anybody? I thought we had some country people in this church. We're, we are an urban church. We're turning into an urban church. Galatians chapter 3. That's okay. That's cool too. Galatians chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. And Paul is still uh, harping on these Christians at these churches in Galatia. He's reminding them that it's nothing they bring to the table in their walk with the Lord, but it's all about what God has done for them and what he wants to do through them in the present. Experiencing faith. Have you experienced the Lord this morning? If not, I hope you're about to. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read the first nine verses, get us started, and then we'll finish the rest of the chapter as we move along. In honor of reading God's Word, if you're physically able, I'd like to ask you to stand as we read the first nine verses in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1. If you're there, say turkey. All right. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. God, would you open our eyes to see your truth? Lord, would you unplug our ears to see what you'd have to say to your church this morning, both as a church body, but God, also as individuals. Lord, I pray that you would wake up the walking dead people today. Lord, that anywhere in our life, Lord, we've fallen asleep, God, I pray that you would wake us up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul is, has some strong words here for these Galatians. Sometimes the Lord, he has to get our attention, and he has to speak uh, in an unusual way sometimes. Sometimes he knocks you up beside the head. Sometimes you run off the road a little bit. Sometimes... Uh, you stump your toe. But sometimes God, because he loves us, he speaks to us. He gets our attention. He comes after us. He wants us to see what we do not see. And this morning, there's a lot of things in your life and my life that you probably do not see. And I hope and pray that in these few moments that God would stir us. He'd break us for what breaks his heart. He would wake us up in places that we are asleep. 
And that's what these Christians in Galatia, they had, they had forgotten how awesome the Lord is. This morning, have you forgotten how awesome the Lord is? And to help them remember, Paul says, hey, just remember. He, he says, let me ask you a question. What has been your experience? And, and I think that's a fair question for us all to think about this morning. What has been your experience with the Lord? Just in your own little bubble there. Let's think about it. What has been your experience with the Lord? Has he been faithful? Has he plucked you up out of darkness? Has he come to your rescue time and time again? And so much more. The gospel is not something that you attain on your own effort. It's something that's been done for you. It's something that you hear and you hear by faith. You receive the message of the gospel. The gospel is something that you surrender to. The gospel is something God has done for you, and you have to know about that in order to come to know Christ. And so Paul asked six questions about their experience. Number one, he says, who has tricked you? Who has bewitched you? By believing the messages of these Judaizers, these false witnesses that had creeped into the church, that they have to follow the Mosaic law and they have to do all these certain rituals and, and go through these certain hoops to, to be saved, which is a big deal to say that you have to be saved if you do these certain things. But also that if they want to attain a, a close relationship with the Lord, they had to do all of these this stuff. Old Testament Mosaic law, and not just that, but they were adding to the law. And so by receiving that false gospel, they were declaring that the gospel, they were declaring that the cross was insufficient. This morning, I wonder what's in our lives that is declaring the cross is insufficient. What is in your life this morning that is declaring, that is saying, maybe not verbally, but this shouting silently that the cross was insufficient? Then Paul asks another question. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul says, hey, were you one time just having your, your quiet time and all of a sudden because you uh, prayed so hard or because you uh, checked off your to-do list in such an orderly manner that all of a sudden then the Holy Spirit came upon you? No, Paul says, you didn't receive it by works of the law, but you received it when you heard the gospel, when you received the gospel. And faith is what activated that. We come, we're saved by faith. We're sanctified by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We stand on the rock. That song we just sang is powerful. Are you standing on the rock this morning? Are you, are you basing your life on a sand that's going to shift and change? You basing your life on your effort and what you can do? Friend, that's not a rock. Then Paul says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Paul says, Don't be foolish. Friend, remember how we got here. It's because of God's grace in your life. You're not perfected by the... You don't get saved by God's grace, and then now you're going to be sanctified by your own efforts... And yet, that's what we do here in the, the Christian South. It's all about what we can do for the Lord. 
instead of what he wants to do through us. And there's no comparison if you've ever experienced it. Then Paul says, did you suffer so many things in vain? He says, you've paid a price. You, you guys have suffered. You've seen God do things that are incredible. And all the things that you have suffered, all the persecution that you have endured, when you cling to this false gospel, are all those things done in vain? Then he asks the question, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and the works of miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, hey, all these things you guys have seen, supernatural miracles. I know it's hard for us to imagine that today here in 2017 in America. It's because most of our churches are so worldly and so lost and so unbroken. We don't see miracles like they saw in the New Testament. But we could. We all begin to be broken, dependent on God. Paul says, is it because of the law that the Lord worked miracles? Or, because the, or was it because you had a little bit of faith? And the last question he says, there in Galatians chapter 3, he basically says, what about Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Correct? Paul's saying, think about Abraham. Now why, it's interesting, would Paul bring up Abraham? studied that, and I think there's a few small reasons, probably a thousand, but I only got to two. Abraham, he attained salvation through faith before the law was given. Say it again. Abraham attained salvation in God through faith before the law was ever given. So if it was dependent on the law, how was Abraham saved? Abraham attained salvation before he was circumcised. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Now let's quickly move along and stop thinking about that. And so the main points of argument by the Judaizers is that they could be, that you had to be circumcised, that all the men, in in order to be saved, had to be circumcised. And so the main points of argument by these Judaizers, they were debunked by a quick life study of Abraham. They didn't want to talk about Abraham. Oh, no. They didn't want to think about Abraham. They just wanted to think about themselves and how spiritual they were. Our problem today is that most people that come to church come here, myself included. We come to church for what we can get out of it. That's not why we need to come. We need to come because He's worthy of our worship of our praise, of our devotion. I'll say this the nicest way possible to myself and everyone. This is the Lord's day. 
It's not your day. It's not my day. It's the Lord's day. We should come here to, to give to Him our focus, our heart, our affection. And when we get to that point, we won't have to beg people to work in the nursery anymore. We won't have to ask people to serve on the security team. We won't have to ask people to serve as greeters. We won't have to put things in the, in the bulletin. I wonder what was in the bulletin for this church in Galatia. They probably didn't have a bulletin, but this brings me to another thing. What are we dependent on in the modern church that's not in the Bible that we equate with walking with God? Paul moves on in verse 10 through 14. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Oh, now Paul's getting real serious. He says, if you rely on the works of the law, you're cursed. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul, in verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. He starts quoting scripture. It's always a good thing when you're dealing with people that are under strongholds. That's what we need to do when we all are under a stronghold that the enemy has our life. There's a chain on our life. There's a foothold that the enemy has taken grasp. We need to fight it with scripture. That's what Paul does. And then verse 11, he gives another verse. He quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It says that the righteous will live by faith. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So there in two, two verses. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. So the law is giving to show us our need of the Lord. That's not how we attain salvation. That's, how, how, that's not how we attain godliness. But the law is given so it will humble all of us. So that we will see that the Lord, He is perf perfect. It's a mirror. You know, the, the Ten Commandments itself is like a mirror. And you stare in it. And it reveals truth about your life. About your actions. About who you are. And so these Judaizers that were stirring up things, even if they lived in the time of Moses, their theology and their doctrine concerning salvation would have been incorrect. Even if they would have been living in the time of Moses during the t period of Mosaic law for the Jewish people, they would have had bad theology then. Then Paul shouts in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's what Jesus Christ did when he went and died on that old rugged cross. He came to rescue you, to give you life, to pay the ransom for your sin, so that you could have a thanksgiving, so that you, you would have hope, so that you would have a place in heaven, so that you could be forgiven. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul alludes there in verse 14, there's two benefits. There's salvation, the promise that God made to Abraham. There's salvation, but then also with that salvation comes what? Comes the gift of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Lord Jesus comes and lives inside of us. What a blessing to know that we're never alone. He's always with us. No matter how your Thanksgiving goes, the Lord's with you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. 
experiencing faith. Is this your walk with the Lord? Is it based on your faith or is it based on good works and what you can do for the Lord? I said last week, we are all either a, really we're all a recovering legalist or a recovering Pharisee. It's just the truth of the matter. I want you to think about that now. If you had to lean one way or the other, if you had to pick, would you lean towards the, the Pharisee side or would you lean towards the, uh, the hypocrite side? The, the legalist or the heathen? The Lord wants us to live holy, righteous, pleasing lives because of who we are in Christ. But when you see somebody walk in and they're not wearing the clothes that you want them to, you judge them, that puts you in the Pharisee camp. And when you spend all your Christmas money at the casino, that puts you in the hypocrite camp. Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with going to the casino a few times. Friend, that's between you and the Lord. All I know is it's ruining people's lives. Oh, well, it provides a lot of tax money. Would you rather have low taxes? And uh, knowing that people are being slaves to their own sin and struggling in life, they're strongholds of people's lives. And believers, we should not be okay with that. We need to be passionate about what the Lord hates. Ill-gotten gain, sex outside of marriage, divorce. We need to be holy and pleasing and follow the book. Well, that's offensive. That's not... Friend, the Lord said it. We need to live holy, righteous lives. Why would we want to glory in something that's ruining people's lives? I don't understand that about alcohol. Why would you want to lift up something that's ruining people's lives, that's damaging families, that's tearing dads and moms away from the little boys and girls? Why would you want to glory in that? Why is that a cool thing? Why is that good? When I lived in Oxford... I lived in Oxford for a few years, and there was a, a beer barn that, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends that went there a lot, and uh, I would, every time I drove by, I'd, I'd pray that the Lord would shut it down. I did that for a year. Every time I went to Oxford, every time I was drove by that beer barn, I prayed, God, would you shut that place down because it's ruining people's lives. When you believe it, after one year, that place shut down and was turned into a Bop's ice cream and Bop's Ice Cream, if you don't know it, was started by missionaries. And the money made from Bop's Ice Cream goes to support missions all over the world. That's why the ice cream tastes so good, by the way. Sadly, that beer barn eventually opened back up in the same spot. The Bop's went out of business. Probably because the Frasers came south, but we're going to have to decide if we're going to go with the Lord, if we're going to go with God. The road is narrow that leads to life, and it's broad, the road that leads to destruction. Now, on the Pharisee side, if you see someone drink alcohol and you just size up and they don't love Jesus, well, that would put you definitely in the Pharisee camp. 
You see somebody at the casino, they might have went there for Starbucks. You don't know that. You don't know why they're there. In an unnamed church where I was serving as student pastor one Sunday morning, worship starting, the sermon's getting ready to start, and I had this sweet lady. She came and sat behind me, and she said, I was sitting on the front row. All the, t- the students sat on the, f- the first four or five rows in worship. And one of the young ladies had taken her shoes off. And this sweet uh, lady comes up to me, and she's just so upset. I mean, she is mad as a hornet. She is red as red. And she just gets in my ear and just cuts loose about this young ninth grader took her shoes off in church. And uh, I said, who, who is this now? And uh, she told me, and I said, well, you know what? You being an older godly lady, it'd probably be a lot She'd probably receive it a lot better if you went to her and explained to her why it's not a good idea to take off her shoes in church. And that lady, that's not what she wanted to hear. She wanted me to go tell her to put her shoes on. And I just wasn't going to do it. Because if it's a young lady, it seems fitting according to Titus that older women should teach the younger. I don't need to be talking to some teenage girl about her shoes, her stinky feet. It's not any of my business. And so I told that lady, and she just marched up to the back. She was so upset, and I thought, it just breaks my heart. For all that lady knew, God told that girl to take her shoes off. She was standing on holy ground. And I don't know if that happened or not, but who are we to judge? There's a lot in the church. There's a lot in our lives that we equate with walking with God that has nothing to do with the gospel. And I like throwing out controversial ones just for fun. Facial hair. The reason I didn't shave today is because I just wanted to use an example. Now, we should dress nice and we should appear on the outside like we feel on the inside. But until the early 20th century, American men had beards. Look at your history books. And in World War I, when they had to wear gas masks, what did they make all the soldiers shave, right? And then if the soldiers shaved, that was a cool thing because soldiers were the coolest people in society, and so everybody wanted to be like them. And so then the clean shave thing happened, and it's a good thing. Clean shaving is nice. Looks nice, looks sharp. But if you judge a man's spirituality on whether he has facial hair or not, what does that say about your heart? What does that say about what you believe it means to be a Christian? What what does that mean? D.L. Moody had a beard. Charles Spurgeon. The Lord Jesus. Moses. Twelve out of twelve disciples. Oh, well, they didn't live in the 21st century in America. Here's the point. It doesn't matter if you have facial hair or not. Men, what matters is if you're following the Lord. Some people might not have church clothes. You ever think about that? I ask people to come to church a lot. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, we really don't have any church clothes. And it breaks my heart. I think, why do they think that they have to have church clothes to come worship the Lord? We have more problems than we realize in this country. 
And it hits home here because you know what? 90% of this county this morning, probably 95%, they're at home and they're not worshiping the Lord. And Jesus died for them. And that rests on us. That responsibility is on us in this church. And we can just forget about it and we can act like it does not exist. But if Paul, the apostle who wrote this book, if he was here, I think he'd be shouting from the rooftops. He'd be pleading with us to stop depending on our works and our own effort and to take up our cross and to have a little bit of faith. It's time for the church to get out of survival mode and get into charge mode. It's time for us to get off cruise control and to put the metal to the pedal, put the pedal to the metal, whatever. Jesus is alive. Jesus is powerful. He can do anything. He owns the bank. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I believe he's looking for somebody somewhere to have a little bit of faith. Say, you guys going to come with me or not? And then Paul wraps up in verses 15 all the way through the end. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant... No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void. In other words, Paul is saying the promise was made to Abraham to send the Messiah through his offspring. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So is it a promise or is it the law? Are you saved by the promise, by faith, or are you saved by attaining righteousness through, on your own effort through the law? Verse 19, why then the law? It was added. So if that's the case, then why do we have the law? Why did God have to give his people the Ten Commandments? It was added because of transgression, because we were evil people. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So until Jesus came, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an inter intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. In other words, it's that mirror. Life doesn't come through that mirror that tells us that we're sinners, that tells us how to live. That's not how life is attained. Life comes through Christ. So scripture, it imprisoned everything you understand so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So how do you, how do you come to know the Lord? Do you believe? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful this morning? For as many of you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Lord's calling us this morning to put on Christ. And in the workplace, in the home, everywhere, put on Christ. Don't, 
be a professional Christian. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. You don't have to be a professional Christian. Put on Jesus. That's what the world needs to see. They don't need to see somebody that knows that's an expert in life. They need to see Jesus. Put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying when we put on Christ, that's what people will see. They're not going to notice if we're a man or a woman, if we dress this way or that way, or if we're uh, our former life or where we come from. Put on Christ because that's who we are at the end of the day. We're either saved or lost, and we're all part of the same family. It's not, did you have turkey or ham? We're all the same at the foot of the cross. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Heirs according to promise. And then we'll see the, the next seven verses of chapter 4 is what we talked about two weeks ago. When we talked about adoption and how that's a picture of the gospel. We become sons and daughters of the King of Kings. This morning I wonder... Do you know the Lord? Do you know him this morning? Charles Haddon Spurgeon says that any man can sing in the daytime, but that only the man of faith can sing in the night. Faith is what gets you through trials, not your own effort. And this morning we have a lot of faith in a lot of things except for the Lord we've become agnostics when it comes to God. Satan has deceived us into making us think the Lord has created all this. And then he stepped back and he's not really interested in your life. Friend, that's a lie. In 2008, a man named Ronaldo Cardenas became a single father of three and fell into a deep depression. One night after his kids left the house, a wave of numbness washed over him. He said, I had no feeling toward anyone or anything. He took out his rifle. He walked to the den and decided to end it all. He cocked the gun and turned on the TV in an attempt to drown out the noise. He said, I put it so loud, the TV, and put it so loud that my neighbors wouldn't hear the bang. Ronaldo says if he had taken his life, he would have never met his two grandchildren. But that night when he's getting ready to end it all, he turns up the TV, there was a commercial. And so he turned the channel, just God's providence. He turned the channel and when he hit the channel, Billy Graham was on TV and he was yelling, don't do it. These are exact words from in a sermon. Don't do it, God loves you. Don't you do it. Billy Graham, to continue the quote, he says, your family loves you, your children love you. Ronaldo got on his knees asking God to forgive him. Ronaldo was a coach for his son's football team and the offensive coordinator came over to the house just 10 minutes after he fell on his knees and received Jesus. And the coach, Ronaldo opens the door and the coach says, I don't really know why I'm here. But he asked Ray if he had a Bible. Ray said no, so the coach handed him his Bible and began a process for that other coach to teach Ronaldo what it was like and how to follow Jesus. This morning, I wonder if you are like our friend Ronaldo. 
You're thinking life, this, is, this has got to be the end of the road for you. Friend, I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. If you're still breathing, if your heart's still ticking, God has a great purpose for you. And if you will surrender all this morning, if you will come to the cross, if you will let God forgive you, he'll make all things new in your life. We're about to enter into a time of invitation. It's a fancy way to say a time to respond to God's word, to respond to what God's saying to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him right now. Come to him just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You come to him. You receive Christ as your Lord by faith. And then he will clean you up. He will work on you. He will fix your rusty parts. He will get your heart right. In fact, he'll give you a new heart. He'll put his spirit inside of you. He'll set you free. This morning, if you need to be set free, the Lord is here. He's available. And he is in the life-changing business. If you have been visiting our church for a long time and you think this is the day to become an official member, it's time for you to put a ring on it. And we'd love for you to join our church officially. Whatever it may be, as we go into this Christmas season, let it not be a time of depression, but let's make up of our minds to let it be a time of hope, to be a time of pointing to Christ. The time for us to be awakened, to be a part of the greatest work on the planet, and that's to make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are saved by your grace. Lord, we're so thankful this morning that we're not dependent on what we can do and our own righteous efforts. Lord, your word says that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to you, compared to your holiness. So, Father, I pray that your word this morning has humbled us. It has motivated us to realize that we have the gospel. We carry around this good news and broken jars of clay. God, help us to stop acting like religious experts and start being professionals and depending on you. Lord, we give you these moments. In Jesus' name we pray.